Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. Hey, we're starting a brand new, a brand new series called Culture Clash. And uh, because I've already... Uh, chewed up some time. I want you to come with me to the book of Mark, chapter three. The book of Mark, chapter three. Culture clash. The title of my church. Uh, my church. The title of my message tonight is a life-giving church. A life-giving church. Now you may say, "Well, hang on. Isn't that normal?" And 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 you know, I'd love to tell you it is. I'd love to tell you that every church is a life-giving church. When, when we moved here, Pastor Marco, um, people said, oh, 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 you're from, you're, you're an Aussie? Like, yeah, oh, you're on vacation? I said, no, 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 we've, we've moved here, mate. Oh, you've moved here? Well, what are you doing here? I said, oh, we're here to start a church. I'm like, oh, what kind of a church? I'm like, a Christian one? They're like, yeah, what, what, what denomination? And in the beginning I said, because down under, and Chris will tell you this, down under we say Pentecostal because, you know, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But then someone pulled me aside and says, Pastor, you don't want to say Pentecostal. And I'm like, why, why not? And they said, well, because the Pentecostal church is known for snake handling and, and, uh, and I'm like, oh, that's not us. We're not the snake handling, but you know, yeah, so we don't do that. And so, so, then, so then I thought, uh, well, I know so I started saying, well, you know, we're, we're, we're a charismatic church. And they pulled me aside again and said, oh, no, you don't want to say that. I'm like, why not? They, and they said, well, they think of all the TBN people, you know, the big hair and the, you know, the fake eyelashes and, and uh, you know, and all the gold and jewelry and, and all the excesses. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what do I say? And so I went to God and said, God, what do I say? And he just said, life-giving. Just tell people you're a life-giving church. A life-giving church. What was the name of Adam's wife? Eve. Eve in Hebrew means life giver. Eve means life giver. Because the Bible says she was the mother of all the living. Jesus was the second Adam or some places call him the last Adam. We don't need another Adam. Jesus was the last Adam, the second Adam. The first Adam God puts into a sleep and out of his side brings his bride. The second Adam says it is finished, goes into a sleep called death. A soldier takes a spear and plunges it through his side the Bible says blood and water flow. Blood and water is the symbols of birth. And out of Christ's side came his bride. Today, there are 7 billion plus people alive on planet earth. But every single one of them that is living, 7 billion people alive, but everybody who is living, I'm talking about those who come to me, will have everlasting life. 
Even if they die, yet shall they live. The people, everybody who is living has been born again from the bride of Christ, the church. The church is the life giver on the planet. The church is the life giver. Amen. All right. So come with me. Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three, culture clash. It says, and he entered the synagogue again. I like Jesus. He was regularly in church. If you want to win in life, just keep turning up to the right place at the right time. He entered the synagogue again, and there was a man there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Who's they? The Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious leaders. Watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent and wouldn't answer. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out immediately and repented and glorified God that such a wonderful miracle and a man who had been suffering all the, oh, hang on, I'm so sorry, wrong translation. Can you believe that? Then the Pharisees went out immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. How they might destroy, it's like Senator Palpatine. How they might destroy, I mean, it's just, I'm afraid in your anger you killed her. Where is Padme? No, she was alive. And I mean, just unbelievable. So let me give you three quick, three quick thoughts. Last night I had the privilege of uh, speaking at the, the PFA, our Pathfinders Apprenticeship. And, uh, and as I was sitting there listening to, to, to Pastor Colin, Colin was, was sharing about frustration is when you have a vision in your heart that you're not able to execute with your life. And as he was speaking, the Holy Spirit was kind of, he was a little bit like me, if I was honest with you. He was kind of like telling me stuff and I'm like, shh, I'm trying to, you know, just let. And, but he, he said to me, he said this to me, he said, did you know that the human heart is pretty much the same size as the human hand? The human hand can hold the human heart. And he says, the Father, when he designed you and I, created you so that your heart and your hand have a symmetry. Your heart and your hand have a connectivity, have a relationship. That there's a congruency between your heart and your hand. In this story, there is a man with a withered hand. His hand is withered. In his heart, he may want to help people. In his heart, his neighbor may say, 
be, be, have said to him, listen, we're, we're moving house. And he may say, I want to come and help. He may want to with his hand go and help dig a ditch or work in a field, but, but, but what is in his heart is diminished by the state of his hand. His hand was withered, his hand was, and then Jesus comes and he sees the dilemma. Can I just tell you, in this house, in this house, God wants to arrest your heart. He wants to put a vision and a dream in your heart that goes beyond just your own life, that goes, just, goes beyond just you saying, well, as long as I've got enough for my rent and got enough, you know, got a warm bed to sleep in and, and food on the table. Can I tell you that is not Christianity. Christianity is where you live a life where you lift your eyes and look out onto the fields and see that they are white under harvest, where you become aware of the concept of other people, where you become aware that there are people less fortunate than you and I and God has blessed us and God has anointed us and God has commissioned us to go and help them at some point in the house of God God will get a hold of your heart so that you say God I want to do something for you but this man this man has an issue because what is in his heart is restricted by the condition of his hand and Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And as the man stretches it out, it becomes restored. There is nothing more wonderful than to, to hear Pastor, Pastor Marco's testimony. A young man who, from a young age, his parents said, we, even though we live in Tijuana, we're gonna invest and deal with long lines at the border because we want you to go to school in the United States of America. We want you to break cycles of poverty. We, we, we believe that you can be, he's an extraordinary man. And I, you spend any time around Marco, he's got a heart. He's got a heart right now, he could just make his money and, but instead he wants to run for, because he has a heart for, because he cares about, God has got a hold of him with a vision for. We have orphanages in Mexico. Rudy Batiste, another incredible, successful man, very humble, handsome, obviously, El Guapo is his nickname. And very humble, but has a heart, you know, orphanages in Mexico, they, they were doing even before we, we took it over. And what's so powerful is what's in his heart, he's able to do with his hand. I keep hearing every, every, there's not a month that goes by where Chris Aguilar, his name is not mentioned about his leadership, his, his excellence. One of the greatest general contractors, if not in San Diego, in all of California. But what we keep hearing, what we keep hearing is the man's hand and his heart work in unison. Can I just tell you, in this house, we want you to, 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 to feel good about having a heart that has a vision to prosper, a vision to flourish, a vision to see darkness driven out, a vision to see righteousness in leadership, to see justice in our courts, to see our schools teaching the Bible, teaching Christianity, to see people set free from cycles of addiction and poverty and hopelessness and despair. And then God wants you to know He 
doesn't want you to live in the frustration with what you see in your heart. You'll never realise with your hand. The Bible says you will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. When the anointing of God comes upon you, you will find that He anoints your hands to carry out what's in your heart. But isn't it interesting that a religious spirit, one of the other translations, I think of this story, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the Pharisee stands up and says, there are six days when men ought to heal, not on the Sabbath. Oh, there are six days when men ought to heal, but not on the Sabbath. Funny, I didn't see you healing him on any of those other six days. Yeshua ben Elohim had to come in on the Shabbat and do what you didn't do the other six days, jack wagon. Somehow I don't think it's got anything to do with days. But a religious spirit will always twist the Scriptures. Number two is a religious spirit. Point number two. I'm not sure, did I give you point number one? Did it come up? Okay, well, point number one was the heart-hand dynamic, was point number one, the heart-hand dynamic. Point number two is a religious spirit. You will hear this as we talk about a culture clash. Satan's gift to every church is a religious spirit or religious spirits. Because religious spirits sneak in, almost they're almost undetected. Because they come in greetings and salutations, brethren. They come in quoting scripture. They come in dressed like a Pharisee. They come in in religious garb. They come in with, you know, piety and gaslighting, pretending they're holier than thou. They sneak in, but you always can recognize a religious spirit because they take the word of life. Do you know the Bible calls this the word of life? Did you know that? It calls it the word of God and it is the word of God, but it's also called the word of life. Sometimes you'll have pages fly out. <laughs> put, put them over there, just I'll lose them again. The word of life. A religious spirit always shuts down life, always restricts life, keeps people in bondage, keeps people in lack, keeps people in poverty, keeps people in struggle. And somehow tells you that this is, you know, this is how, 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 how it's, it's meant to be. You know, it's interesting, Jesus in John chapter eight, that they, they, they bring before Jesus and we, we, we did design the entire script of hero around the story of the woman caught in adultery. And it's funny, they, they, they bring the woman caught in adultery. Last time I checked, adultery requires two people. But where, where's the, but anyway, they bring the woman and they throw it. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses gave us the law, such should be stones. What sayest thou? And really what they were trying to do, they were trying to cap, capture Jesus. You know, either he said, no, no, we need to have compassion. See, this man has no regard for the laws of God. He's unholy. He's not committed to the law. That's what they were wanting. Or Jesus said, well, I guess. And then they stone her without the presence of the other man, without two or three, and then they could accuse him of. So it, it was an entrapment. So Jesus instead begins to write in the dust. And I mean, he's Jesus. Now, just between you and me, okay, let me just say this. He is Jesus holy, okay? If I was Jesus, I would struggle with being naughty. 
So I'm, I'm not saying he did this, but this is what I would be doing. She, she should be stoned. She was caught in the very act. Moses gave a lot. I would have stooped down like Jesus. I would have began writing in the dirt like Jesus. But I would have started writing down, hmm, Gamaliel. You're struggling with. And you committed. And just last week, Othniel. There's your names, isn't it? That's your, that's your search engine history on your computer, isn't it? Whoever's without fault, go ahead, throw the first stone. Where'd you guys all go? But obviously, Jesus is not naughty, so we don't know what he wrote. I'm kind of glad we don't know what he wrote, because he could very easily write things about me. But it's so beautiful because Jesus stands up and says, whoever is without fault, cast the first stone. He doesn't deny that Moses said the law says such should be stoned. He just says, all right then, okay. If we're going to do a stoning, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped their stones and went away. Then Jesus goes to the woman and says, where are your accusers? She lifts her head and he goes, is there no one left who condemned you? She goes, there's no one, sir. Then he stoops down and he looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. Jesus condemns the sin, but saves the sinner. A religious spirit saves the sin savors the sin while it condemns the sinner Jesus the word of life saves the sinner condemning the sin a religious spirit always savors the sin while it condemns the sinner this is a house of life this is a life giving church time okay so <clears throat> so life-giving church so one of the things that we get you know pastor marco was was talking about money he's saying well you know and so people immediately rack well you know the bible says that how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom and absolutely it's true that it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom because money is one of the most potent and powerful trust substitutes for God. The Bible says that God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. But money will say, well, hang on, he's not the only one. If you had a million of me sitting in your savings account, you'd be provided for. God is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord our peace. Money says, not so fast, God. If you've got equity, if you've got savings, if you've got a great income, if you've got lots of me, I'm also peace. So Jesus is very, very intentional. And he talks about mammon. Mammon. He says, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. 
So a lot of, a lot of bad teaching and a lot of the, the, the first wave of kind of cheap shots attack on the theology of awakened church is they teach prosperity and blessing and look at all the warnings about Bible, about money. You can't have money. Jesus talked about mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is when money becomes idolatry. Mammon is a per, when money becomes a substitute, becomes an idol. They, sub, they sacrificed their children to Moloch. They worshipped the Ashtoreths. They worshipped Baal. Jesus says when money becomes your idol, becomes your trust, it becomes mammon. He says, you can't serve God and mammon. So Christians, many of them foolishly say, well, what we will do then is we will serve God and have nothing to do with money. Jesus didn't say have nothing to do with money. The very first commandment to Adam was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue. Subdue, subdue, bring under. Our assignment is to recognize that money has a, has a seductive, corruptive power and it seeks to make you its servant and it your master. When that happens, it becomes mammon. Our job is to teach you how to dismantle money or how to dismantle mammon so it becomes money that isn't your master, but is your servant. You and I are meant to serve God and money is meant to serve us. Money is meant to serve you. The third temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the devil takes him up onto a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms and their glory and their splendor. And he says to Jesus, all of these are mine. I can give them to whoever I choose. If you will bow down and worship before me, these can be yours. And Jesus says this, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God. But that's not all he says. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you. Him only shall you. Him only shall you serve. We don't just love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. Him only shall you serve. Jesus is trying to get your attention. Did you know two thirds of Jesus's parables was around handling money? Two thirds was around handling money. He warns against mammon. Mammon is when money becomes an idol. It, it, it has a seductive power. You may say to me, well, pastor, my God, in this church with people flourishing, people prospering, aren't you worried that people can very easily put their trust in their bank accounts and put their trust in money and, and put them, their trust in the security and the peace and the comfort that money can provide? No, I don't worry at all. You know why? Because every week we annoy the heck out of people because we have five minutes allocated where we teach and we challenge on giving because the greatest way to make money your servant is for you to send it out. Masters send their servants into the field to go and work in that field. 
Money is your master if, it's, if it tells you, don't listen to him, don't, don't shoot. What, what, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not thinking of giving, are you? What, what, are you, what are you doing with that checkbook? Sitting on it, how much are you going to give? You can't give a thousand dollar check. It's zero, hundreds, plenty, hundreds, plenty. And don't, don't forget, don't forget on the way home, you've got to get put gas in. And have you seen the gas prices? Have you seen what Brandon's done to the gas prices? <laughs> money, money will. Don't, don't negotiate. Don't say, well, well what, what should I give money? Don't even let, well, it doesn't even, you didn't even get a say. You're a, you're a freaking servant. Wow. You do what you're told. If money is telling you what to do, you're not its master. It's yours. If money is telling you, well, you can't give, well, you can't. A religious spirit will always rob life. We're a life-giving church. We're a life-giving church. Everything Jesus taught was around you winning in life, conquering life. The last one, point number three, is the miracle is always in the stretch. The miracle is always in the stretch. The man has a withered hand. Jesus says to him, come forward, move forward. Some, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you gotta just move forward. Here's what I found. I came into church, absolutely dysfunctional, broken mess. I went to, I'm sitting in church and I'm doing mechanical engineering but my life, what was in my heart, I wasn't seeing with my hand. I, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to do something for God. But, but my hand was, was tied to, to being an engineer. And then I'm sitting in church and, and I hear God calling me to go to Bible college and leave engineering. So I, I move forward. As I, as I move forward and sign up for Bible college, my father finds out and he disowns me. He says, you will not get one cent, not one cent will you get because you're leaving engineering. He, he, was, he was trying to say, your hand, I will make sure your hand is withered so that it has no resource or ability to carry out what's in your heart. Your heart wants to go to Bible college. How are you gonna make it withered hand, boy? I'll make sure your hand is withered. But I found that God says, step forward, move forward, keep moving forward. And then he said, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. The first disciples, when Jesus called them, he gets into Simon Peter's boat. They've been fishing all night, caught nothing. And Jesus says, Simon, let me use your boat. Row me out a little bit. So rows out. So all the crowds on the shore and Jesus standing on the boat and the water's amplifying His voice. It's a natural amphitheater. And Jesus, when He finishes teaching, He says to Simon, now launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Peter looks at Him and says, Lord, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. Empty nets, empty boat. We just finished washing the nets before You. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He didn't have nets faith yet, he had net faith. How many people know that Jesus could have said, Peter, stay here, fish. 
Jesus called, could have called the fish into the boat. But Jesus said to Simon, launch out into the deep because the miracle is always in the stretch. In 2020, 2020, I had to make the, that phone call. San Marcos was opening, scheduled to open in 2020. And it was a $16 million project, the largest project we'd ever undertaken as a church. We had to kind of scratch and scrape to, to get approval with the Wesleyan Financial Group. And then all of a sudden, Jesse and Pastor Jesse and Pastor John Heinrichs called me in and said, Pastor, you need to sit down. We've got some not so good news. So what's that? The roof. The entire roof has to be replaced. $3.2 million. The walls, the walls are not up to earthquake code. We have to reinforce all the walls. Another $2.8 million. And then you have to pay $120,000 for a structural engineer to come. And he's going to, he's going to drill into three of the footings to see if maybe we need to rebar and reinforce with concrete all the footings of the church, of the building. They drill into three and we have to redo all the footings. It takes it from a $16 million project to a $26 million project. I've got to call the lender to let him know there's a $10 million shortfall I look like an idiot because everybody knows Awaken coming soon, New Church coming soon is on the thing. And here's a $10 million deficit. I get a phone call from a beautiful man and he's choking emotionally on the phone. And he says, would you please fly to Salt Lake? My son, your friend that you discipled is having a breakdown. His son, your godson, tried to hang himself. They've got him on Rit, uh, Ritterol, the, the ADD. Adderall, uh, Ritalin, Ritalin. And about 10 to 15% goes suicidal, that's him. So I fly in just to Salt Lake City, fly in just to moral support. I call Jesse when I get there because I see bloodshot eyes and the, the, the the mama, she's crying. They've got, they got three little, four little ones. So I called Jesse. I said, Jesse, how much money do we have in our benevolence account? We may need to fly this family and get an Airbnb, you know, on, on the beach and just, just, we'll take care of it all. And just love them and then figure out a way where I know if I send Pastor Stacy, she'll minister in power. I know if I send our, our, our pastors there, if, if we just put a roster together. Let's do a research. You know, maybe we can do a deal with Southwest. And every week we, we fly, you know, somebody in to, to preach and hold the church for three or four months to, to, till they recover. On the second morning, he says to me, I never wanted to be a pastor. But dad talked me into being a pastor. And I didn't want to disappoint dad, so I became a pastor. I said, well, what did you want to be? He goes, I wanted to be a pilot. I said, a pilot? He said, anyway, God told me to hand the church over. I said, well, let, let me know if there's anything, you know, we can do. He says, well, you can do a lot because God told me to hand the church over to you. I said, you, you Leanne's going to kill me. No, no. I'm like, how do I tell Leanne? So long story short, God speaks to him in my hotel room and he says, you've got to take the church. 
So we, we look at it, we fly Jesse out, we have a look at it. They have $500,000 debt, zero assets because they've run it into the ground, 70 people, and they've got seven full-time staff for 70 people. Then God says, pay the pastor out for the rest of the year and pay for 50% of his flight school training. Then he says, and you're not to fire any of the seven staff. They've just lost their shepherd. You absorb it. And then Jesse comes back and says, they're hemorrhaging between 18 and $24,000 a month. And I've got to call our lender and say, San Marcos blew out by $10 million. It's now a $26 million project. And we just took on another church with zero assets, half a million in debt, hemorrhaging eighteen dollars to $24,000 a month. And God told me not to fire any of the seven full-time staff for the 70 people. He said to me, you're kidding, right? I said, I wish I was. He said, either you hear from God or you're the craziest man I've ever talked to. I had dinner with him on Monday night, this Monday night, he was retelling me the story. He said, when you told us that, we thought for sure, you, you gotta be joking. You got, and when we saw that you were serious, we went back and, we, and they said, we've never lost, but we've never had this. And he said, we got together and we prayed and we felt God, God say, go with them. We opened San Marcos, our largest 1200 seat auditorium. It is filled three times every week. San Marcos went from 70 people to over 700 people every week. In the middle of 2020, God opened a door where we were able to buy a $14 million building for $6 million, putting 1.5 million down. So we have a had a $5 million mortgage on a $14 million building. The building is an event center. The event center brings in more than enough money to pay the, the note on it so that it's able to send money back and pay for the notes on here. The miracle was there, it just required a stretch. Every miracle that's been released over my life is in the stretch. Every miracle's in the stretch. You ask anybody that gave to Vision Builder, the miracle was in the stretch. We're about to go into Vision Builders. You talk to Matt and Vanessa Lee, they'll tell you about the stretch. You talk about the, they'll tell you about the stretch. You talk to, they'll tell you about the stretch. You talk, you, you talk to the Duns, they'll tell you about the, the miracle is in the stretch. Come on, stand to your feet, lift your hands high to heaven. I feel the anointing, I feel the power of God. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I break agreements and alignments with religious spirits. How do I know if I'm under the influence of a religious spirit? It always elevates God's laws above life. It, always, it will keep you restricted. It will keep you small. It will keep you impoverished. It, it, it champions struggle. It champions weakness. It champions infirmity. Whereas a life-giving spirit, Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I break poverty cycles. I break poverty mentalities. Father, I release this year. I release this year. This year, this year, this year, this year. I release. And let me just tell you, the economic 
people are talking about there's a forecast for a, a recession and there's a, you know, there's a downturn in the economy and there's high inflation and interest rates are rising and that's gonna create, you know. Can I just say to you today as your shepherd, fear not, fear not, fear not. Elijah called a drought over the nation of Israel. The drought was so bad, their crops were dying and failing. The, the cattle and the stock and the sheep were dying and failing. And Elijah is by a brook. God says, go and hide by the brook Cherith. And the Bible says, ravens bought him bread and meat in the morning and bread, and he drank water from the brook. But it came to pass, after a time, the brook dried up. His job ran out. His source of provision dried up. But Elijah did not need to fear because even though his source, even though his provision dried up, he never lost Jehovah Jireh. He never lost his provider. Your God is your provider. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you don't need to fear or be concerned about the economies of men because you have a Father, you have a God who is your provider. And the Word of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise, go to Zarephath, see I've commanded a widow to provide for you. God will get you through. This is not our first rodeo. 2008, when everything turned to custard and people were losing their homes and getting foreclosed on, do you know who flourished? Awaken. People in our church flourished. Businesses flourished. People bought homes. People upgraded homes. I'm telling you, God's power works in the desert and it works by the sea. God's power works on the mountaintop and God's power works in a valley. God's power works in the good times and God's power works in the lean time. God's power works during booming economies and God's power works in recessions. God's power is not limited or restricted to the conditions of men. If you have any fear, I want you to just lift your hand. Father, I break the spirit of fear. I break it now. 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 I break the spirit of fear. I declare the Lord your God is with you. He will lead you through. Though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Though you go through the waters, you will not be drowned, says the Lord. For I, the Lord your God, am with you. I am carrying you through. I will take you through to the other side. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the miracles in the stretch. The miracles in the stretch. My father and I were, were I, when I went to Bible college, I, I went there really hating my father. He was abusive. I remember when my, my grandparents were dying, my mother left to go to Germany to be with her mum and dad, my Oma and Opa in their last days. And I came home from Bible college. I would come home every Friday night because I would lead youth group. And every Friday night, mum would make sure that, that I had something quick to eat as I had to get changed, then shoot out to go to youth group. Well, this Friday night I come home and mum's in Germany. And the table is set, but there's only two plates on the table, two place settings on the table. Thought, oh, it's easy to do. So I ran, got another place setting, plate, knife. Dad had gone down to the fish and chip shop and he come back and he opened up and he pulled out a hamburger and he put it on his plate, pulled out a hamburger, put it on my little brother's plate. And then he opened up one, pulled out a piece of fish, put it on his plate, piece of fish, put it on my brother's plate. And he opened up the third little package that had the chips, French fries. And he poured half on his plate, half on my brother's plate. 
And then they sat down and began to eat. And I began to realize that I was disowned. I was on my own because I was going to Bible college. God speaks to me in Bible college and says, you need to forgive your dad. I went, I, I, I. Number one, he ain't asking. And number two, have you seen his behavior? He ain't deserving. A few years ago, God says, you need to honor your father. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I forgave him. You told me to forgive him. You told me to tell him I love him. I did that. That's. So I said, all right, tell me one thing he's done that's honorable. Go ahead. God's like, I'm not asking you to honor something he's done. I'm asking you to honor him for who he is. Last year, God said, your father's almost 80. You need to buy him a place where he can spend out his final years in a warm climate in his favorite part of Australia. I'm like, oh, am goodness. Oh my, is there no end to your... <laughs> I promise you this, as I sat with Leanne and my beautiful Leanne, a woman of faith, said, if God's telling you, you need to do it. I looked at it. It didn't look good on paper. It was gonna... But I promise you, Pastor Marco, as I stretched to look after my dad as I stretched the blessing that has come back. I'd love to tell you five times, it's probably more like seven or eight times has come back. You have no idea what's on the other side. The miracle that God releases in the stretch. Come on, if you know that God is calling you to, to a stretch, maybe the stretch is just to forgive. Maybe the stretch is to cancel somebody's debt. Maybe the stretch is to, to be a blessing. Maybe the stretch is to, to begin trusting God and tithing. Maybe the stretch is to get involved in vision builders. Maybe the stretch is to fulfill your vision. Whatever your stretch is, lift your hand. Father, I thank you for the stretch. I thank you the miracle is in the stretch. God said to Moses, stretch out your staff and I will part the waters. If you stretch what's in your hand, God will part the waters and the children of Israel will walk across on dry ground into their destiny. Father, I thank you that miracles lie on the other side of their stretch. Miracles lie on the other side of the stretch. Father, let us be a church that is unafraid and unashamed to stretch in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, if you receive that word tonight, give God a great praise. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.